Home isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. Like curling up in a comfy chair while it's cold outside. With a warm drink, or maybe even a wine in hand. As you watch the world go by outside your window. Mmm, short rib. Good afternoon, this is your captain speaking. Which is why at Delta, our people do our best to make you feel at home. Refill? Long before you get there. Delta, keep climbing. Start clean with Clorox, because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Oh, my charcoal mess. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Welcome to This is Critical. I'm Virginia Heffernan. This is Critical is the show where we question all of your cultural assumptions, like that Married at First Sight or MSNBC is your reality show of now, when it clearly should be alone, the contest in which survivalists are dropped truly alone with only their own cameras in scary, terrifying places where they either hunt and forage and shelter themselves to victory or starve and tap out. So finding a place to live in this life is an absolute necessity. But the real estate market, you all know this, it's a fun house of freaky mirrors and elastic interest rates and closing costs and just utter bewilderment. So we basically sit around as bitter renters dreaming of van life or maybe a tiny home you can build with a kit and one of the stars of a loan. But it's still maybe worth braving the terrifying militia of mortgage brokers and real estate lawyers who stand sentry over home buying. Because, as you'll hear from my guest, there are still some ace reasons to get every dime or shred of a Dogecoin that you can scrape up and buy a home, any home, because that's how historically people have built wealth. But there are also times when homeownership doesn't make sense. My family, for example, has been filled with happy renters who lock in a rent price and spend their money on their kids' educations or building businesses. And the real bonus is they don't have to worry about real estate prices rising and falling and going into weird frenzies. My guest today is Aaron Glantz. He's a journalist and a visiting professor at Berkeley's Journalism School. He is the author of Home Wreckers, colon, How a Gang of Wall Street Kingpins, Hedge Fund Magnates, Crooked Banks, and Vulture Capitalists Suckered Millions Out of Their Homes and Demolished the American Dream. I mean, I think I was hit with clinical depression around the time of Vulture Capitalists. Now, I'm not sure I totally agree with Aaron that homeownership is the be-all, end-all of the American dream, but I'm fascinated by his bushwhack through the whole thorny thicket of real estate issues. If you're considering buying a home, or you feel left out from buying a home, or you're just wondering WTAF is going on with American real estate, Aaron is going to break it all down. 
Aaron Glantz. Welcome to This is Critical. It's wonderful. Thank you for having me. It's a huge pleasure to have you. Now, before we fret about home buying together, I'm just going to tell you the story of my own grandfather. Everyone loves the real estate family story, right? So usually one's grandfather has, uh, you know, bought a house for a song and let it appreciate. Mine in West Virginia, the only person in the family to actually be entrepreneurial um, and make a little money with a utility in West Virginia had this idea, you never buy a house, only chumps buy houses, you keep it in cash, powder dry, and you rent for life, and then you're done with that house. But I understand that that's an outlier view. Certainly, you know, it was 50, 60 years ago. I want you to get into, in a bird's eye way, the American dream generally, and why Americans got obsessed with buying houses. I mean, home ownership is so central to the American dream because it's basically the only way that we can save money. Housing is a fixed expense. We all have to pay for housing. If we rent, that means that we're going to be paying that money every single month to our landlord. And our landlord will get the benefit of owning that property over the long term. If you rent, you're basically paying off your landlord's mortgage. On the other hand, if you own your own home, then that expense goes to building your wealth. And because most Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, the average American homeowner is worth about 10 times as much as the average American renter. Mm-hmm. Either, like Americans, we don't own stocks, or if we do, we don't own that much of it. All that market stuff on CNBC or in the journal is for a very small class of people. Most of us, if we own assets, it's our house, and it's the main thing that we own. So in defense of my my grandfather, I'll say that he had a sort of exactly the opposite reasoning. I mean, he was in a coal mining town. So he rented his house from the mines, but he knew that boom-bust towns like that, real estate's value waxes and wanes. And, you know, a house could just end up being an albatross around your neck where he believed, and I think that, you know, there are other populations of people who believe that a much better investment in the long-time wealth of your family is to educate your children. Well, I mean, educating your children is awesome too. I'm all for education. Like, I mean, I'm telling you, I live in San Francisco, real estate prices are crazy, rents are crazy. I'm getting a measure of economic security by having a fixed mortgage over time, whether or not I'm getting this like additional equity and wealth over the last 15 years since I bought this house. But even if the house value remains flat, even if it were to go down slightly over time, you're still by your mortgage payment ending up owning something. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you rent, you end up owning nothing. And so, you know, I tell the story in the book of my wife's family. It's like the typical American immigrant experience where they came to the U.S. from Vietnam in 1975, owning basically nothing as refugees, bought their own house for $75,000 in 1977, Hmm. and then kind of slowly amassed a few income properties. And even though they were working very blue-collar jobs their whole life in the aviation industry, the defense industry down in L.A., doing things like assembling 
brake parts for jets. They still were able to provide for all four of their children, who all went to college, who all now own their own homes. Wow. And that is the way generational wealth works in America. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, Aaron tells us about the foreclosed home he bought back in 2009 and why maybe we shouldn't feel too, too bad for the former owners. Home isn't just a place. It's a state of mind. Like curling up in a comfy chair while it's cold outside. With a warm drink or maybe even a wine in hand. As you watch the world go by outside your window. Mmm, short rib. Good afternoon, this is your captain speaking. Which is why at Delta, our people do our best to make you feel at home. Refill? Long before you get there. Delta, keep climbing. Start clean with Clorox. Because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen, remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, 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 of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. (laughs) Well. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. We're back with Aaron Glantz, journalist and author of Home Records. So, Aaron, let's talk about this story of how you acquired your house in San Francisco. There are a few data points that turned me green with envy. First, you made this purchase at such an opportune time in 2009 at the bottom of the market, right? It is now worth $1 million, nearly three times what you paid for it. And you also have a fixed interest rate, and you even refinance to get a better fixed rate at historically low interest rates. I mean, please know none of this is lost on me. But the history of your house, I mean, it's not exactly a house where a bloody crime was committed, but it's sort of the white-collar version of a house where a crime was committed. Tell us about the history of your house and the scheme the former owners were running. Yeah, I mean, the house we bought out of foreclosure. And you hear all kinds of crazy stories. And I write in the book about like really good, decent people getting foreclosed on. Most of the millions of people who lost their homes in the bus were good, decent people who lost their jobs in the recession and couldn't make the mortgage and the bank took the house. In my house, though, there were these three women who bought and sold houses within this same neighborhood in southern San Francisco. They were just flipping the homes between them. Like there were these multiple houses and like I sell you a house for $10 and then I turn around and sell it to the other party for 15 and then 20 But because of the way the mortgage market was working at that time where people getting these crazy loans with no money down and like teaser interest rates. They were able to like buy a home at an inflated price without actually putting up any money. Got it. And so then if I sell it to you for 10 and then you sell it to the other person for 15, we just made $5. But then we're actually not operating at 10 and 15. We're actually operating in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yes. So they did that. And then, you know, why didn't this go on ad infinitum? Because the prices started to crater. It was a bubble. 
I mean, that's what people are worried about now, right? They're worried about that the $1 million on my house is just like on paper and not based on any economic fundamentals. And I have to say that I'm not necessarily in disagreement with that. I mean, like I'm talking to you from San Francisco. You may have heard that there was a global pandemic, right? It killed a million people. That bug that's going around. Yeah. Yeah. Like a million people died. A lot of Americans lost their jobs. People are leaving cities like San Francisco because of the whole remote work thing. So the city Mm -hmm. has lost 6% of its population in the last year. And yet real estate prices have gone up. Mm -hmm. This does not entirely makes sense, right? So if we lived in a society where everyone was milking this for all it was worth, we could really be putting ourselves at risk of another crash. Luckily for us, there's some safeguards in place now that were not in place back then. I mean, like the good news is consumer protections have been put in place and we do not have the same problem with just kind of like junk loans that we did. I mean, like right, we have the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau has kept the banks in check. People were buying houses, you know, up until recently with the Fed raising interest rates and getting good terms and they've been able to get loans where, you know, the underwriting has been pretty rigorous and, uh, you know, basically responsible. But a country where a million people died in a global pandemic and real estate prices going up and up and up sky high does not sound that fundamentally sound. And one of the things that's been happening is a lot of the private equity firms and other Wall Street players that I write about in Home Wreckers, who made just tremendous amount of money on the wreckage of the Great Recession, have been coming in and buying large numbers of properties with cash. I mean, these mm-hmm. people are betting that real estate will never come down, and they're buying up neighborhoods and they're jacking up rents. And they're squeezing out, you know, regular Americans, just like me and you, who might want to own their own home, who then become stuck paying inflated rents to them. And when I say they're buying these properties with cash, Mm -hmm. that's only partially true. I mean, they're not buying a house with a traditional bank loan the way I did and most Americans would. But they are leveraging their capital. And instead of taking out, you know, a two hundred or three hundred or four hundred thousand dollar loan to pay for their home, they're bundling the assets that they already own together. They're taking out a gigantic loan against all the homes they own already. They are using that capital to buy more homes and then counting on the rental income from all the people who live in those homes to pay off these giant balls of debt. Mm. So the mortgage-backed securities that were created by banks like IndyMac, Mm -hmm. where they bundled all these junk loans together and then traded them on Wall Street, the same thing is happening now with homes being brought by corporate landlords. So as long as rents keep going up, they're fine. And the economy is fine as all this debt is caught up and sold across on Wall Street. But if rents go down, if real estate prices go down, Mm -hmm. we could end up in a system that's not that different from 2008. And that's what I would be worried about. 
really interesting. Listeners have probably seen this in their own lives when they go to buy houses or just in strange discontinuities around them. I think, you know, any of us who saw the big short imagine that we would like to be, or maybe we'll trust you to be, the person who, like the characters in the big short, saw the weird discontinuity, saw the anomalies, and started to say, maybe now's not the time to buy a house or cool off market, something weird is up. I mean, I was like, people were coming to me, you know, comb records came out in 2019. Yeah. So when the pandemic hit, all these people are like, Aaron, is home records time again? And I was like, well, something strange is happening. Housing prices are not going down. Right. So I don't know that I would buy property in a global pandemic when real estate prices are going up. That does not entirely make sense. I mean, this is what you said, that there's something structurally possibly unsound about that setup, which I think is an interesting way to look at it. The same is said for stagnation in the economy plus inflation. Those two things shouldn't go together. Demand should end up driving productivity, should end up driving growth. But when you get these kind of things that economists just look at in a worried way that you might start to have just a a failed or at least off-kilter economy. That is absolutely, I think, something to pay close attention to. I mean, one thing I would say, just to like say some positive things for a moment. Yeah, please. It's obvious that this country learned something from the Great Recession. I've been really happy to see that some of the mistakes of 2008 were not repeated. Mm, So one mm. of the big mistakes of 2008 was this whole idea of moral hazard, that Mm. you could not help a struggling homeowner because if you did, it would screw up the whole market. And what you saw when the pandemic began and people started to die of the coronavirus and the economy shut down and people started to lose their jobs was the government step in and the government said, that there's a national foreclosure moratorium, that there's a national eviction moratorium, Mm -hmm. that if you have a federally subsidized or owned loan, which is like over 80% of all home loans are owned by Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, HUD, the VA, some part of the federal government, that you can get into a forbearance program where you can go a few months without paying your home loan and then pick up again. Or just get a new loan that pushes the payments back to the end of the period or even take advantage of historically low interest rates to get a lower payment. Mm -hmm. And amazingly, all those people like me who were saying that that's what we should do to prevent a repeat of the housing bust were in fact listened to. Policymakers Even Donald Trump and Nancy Pelosi working together to accomplish really a saving of the American homeowner in 2020 and 2021. Hmm. So Mm -hmm. all of that is great news. You know, we live in a country where a million people died of a killer virus and there was no foreclosure epidemic. That's incredible. This is not just heartening, but a very good point that certain presuppositions about the economy since the 70s and then, you know, amplified in the 80s and up to the crisis just have not been borne out. I mean, there are many interventions that the federal government can make that don't count as moral hazards, including up to and including uh, forgiveness of student loans, which is, you know, kind of 
increasingly advocated. No, it's really important that this stuff worked. It totally worked. So now what we're wondering is like, okay, that stopped millions of Americans from losing their homes in 2020 and 2021. That's good. We got to be happy about that. But now something is off. Now something is like really off. Real estate prices are off the hook. It doesn't seem like it's exactly right since the economy isn't doing so well. There's all of this corporate money flowing into residential real estate from Wall Street that is distorting the market. And, you know, I am worried that the economy could be put at risk from this again. I mean, there's some weird pieces to the contemporary market that strike me as very different from 2008. You know, we're talking about San Francisco, so a city that's been very much the beneficiary of first uh, .com and now the tech boom. I'm in Ulster County, which is Mm -hmm. to the north of New York City. And Aaron, like so many people, we bought during the pandemic. Um, But one metric I read, it was the fastest growing county in the country. I mean, county, not just like region. And it seems true, at least looking around, that a lot of New Yorkers did move up here. When we started looking up here, there were a lot of foreclosed houses. So it was houses that you could buy very cheaply because they'd been foreclosed on, you know, since 2008, 9, 10. um, And they had just been sitting around. But as you say, corporations did start buying these houses. They flipped them. Sometimes they turned them into Airbnbs. And this definitely isn't the American dream version of home ownership. We have a situation in America that is deeply troubling. We have millions of homes all across this country that used to be owned by people that are now owned by limited liability shell corporations, where we absolutely have no idea who the true and real owner is. It is happening in every kind of market. It is happening in really expensive markets like San Francisco, where people are wondering, is it Russian oligarchs parking their money? Uh, We don't know because it's behind this shell company. Mm -hmm. It's happening in rural areas like the ones that you're describing. And it's happening in places like Milwaukee and Detroit and Cleveland, where uh, property can be hoovered up really, really cheap and then just sit vacant because they're just parking their money. I worked with a reporter at the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel who looked at who was buying up homes in Black neighborhoods in Milwaukee, where the market is so distorted now that houses are going for like eighty or $90,000, but rents still remain high. So you have people who can't buy a home that's $90,000, but they're paying $2,000 a month in rent. Right. And so uh, I worked with this reporter and lo and behold, you had people who worked for Google in the Bay Area where Mm -hmm. homes are like one, two million dollars. And they're just like, oh, I can buy a whole neighborhood in Milwaukee and they don't even come out to visit. This is one lady down in Rancho Cucamonga, which is in the Inland Empire uh, east of Los Angeles, who was, you know, buying up tons and tons of property and they don't care. They don't care. So you have people living in buildings without heat. You have people living in buildings with toxic mold. And you have landlords who just see those homes as a line on a ledger. And you have people who live in those homes who cannot bring their complaints to their landlord because they don't even know who their landlord is. 
Right. Because their landlord is a shell company. They complain to the property manager. Property manager says, sorry, there's nothing I can do. At that point, you want to go to the landlord. And if you're the city and you want to find people for blight, you can't, you, what, you go find a post office box that controls right. the LLC, or you send it to a law office. I talk in, in the book about Sean Hannity. You know, it turned out that Sean Hannity was through a variety of LLCs buying up all these properties in Georgia. This is before the pandemic, you know, apartment buildings. But nobody knew that Sean Hannity had anything to do with it uh, until it was surprisingly revealed by Donald Trump's lawyer, Michael Cohen, in court. Remember, they were like, Michael Cohen, like, who do you represent besides Donald Trump? Mm -hmm. And he said, Sean Hannity. And then Sean Hannity went on his show and he said, this has nothing to do with anything. It's just for real estate. And then investigative reporters started to investigate real estate. We had no idea that Sean Hannity owned all this real estate. And this is something that is just becoming more and more and more common all across America, where there are millions of homes that are owned by people um, who are obscured from the residents and government in those cities. We're going to take another short break. Coming up, how do we fix this? Home isn't just a place. It's a state of mind, like curling up in a comfy chair as you watch the world go by. Good afternoon. Which is why at Delta, our people do our best to make you feel at home long before you get there. Delta, keep climbing. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. (laughs) Well... Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. We're back with Aaron Glantz, author of Homewreckers. So, Aaron, ordinary people think houses are houses. A place to live in, a place you buy, you know, at some point you'll own the whole thing. To another whole population of people, they seem to see real estate as a financial instrument, nothing to do with where you hang your hat and lay your head at night. Um, And they are just churning or laundering or doing these exotic practices that seem to be untraceable. And honestly, the mind just boggles. This is all very fixable. You know, so in 2020, I filed a Freedom of Information Act request with the Treasury Department Mm -hmm. because it turns out that, you know, of course, the Treasury Department is worried about money laundering. And so there are many markets throughout the United States, including San Francisco, New York, Miami, and, you know, and elsewhere, places where money laundering is seen as particularly problematic, where they have been requiring that in all cash purchases of residential real estate, that the buyers disclose to the Treasury police who the true and beneficial owner of the property is. Right. So the government actually knows the government knows who's buying up those condos in Midtown Manhattan and Miami and San Francisco and Seattle and all these places. Right. The government knows. So we filed this FOIA and we were told that because of the Bank Secrecy Act, which was passed in the 70s to kind of safeguard people's privacy, 
that we could not get any of this. And Hayes, we said, hey, just redact whatever you want. Like, we don't want anyone's bank account numbers. We don't want their social security numbers. All that stuff is legitimately private. But we would like their names. We would like to know who are these people. Mm-hmm. And through the court process, we learned that the Treasury Department had a spreadsheet that was 43,000 pages long that detailed the true and beneficial owners of all this property. And they declined to give it to us. And we sued and we lost uh, because it turns out the Bank Secrecy Act is a real law and the judge ruled that it protects the banks and these shell companies. So this is a law that Congress could change. They could say, hey, we have compelling national interest in knowing who is buying up these homes or it needn't even be Congress. You know, I've talked to local officials here in California, like If you look at the recorded property record on my house, you can see that my wife and I bought it in 2009 for a certain price and that we live here. They could add a line that said, if it's not owned by a person, if it's owned by a company, who are the natural human individuals who own the largest shares of that company, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? There's nothing stopping any local government from doing that. So I think that this is a huge problem. I am seeing a lot of energy towards changing it. Some local jurisdictions, DC and Philly, have passed local ordinances that are designed to help uh, address this problem. Uh, There was a bill in the California legislature to solve it statewide here. It failed by one vote thanks to the power of the real estate lobby. And again, there could be a national solution from Congress. Unfortunately, transparency uh, in the face of real estate interests is, it's hard to get anything done in Congress these days. And and that seems pretty far-fetched at this point. Yeah, so you talk about all these strange relations that don't have much to do with, I don't know, I think you called them something like, you called us, right? Flesh and blood people, natural human individuals or something (laughs) like that. So what does, for natural human individuals, what does this mean for the American dream? You know, it means that we have a lot of competition from private equity firms, from international capital, from all kinds of folks who see houses as as just a line in a ledger and not a place to live. And not even like a mom and pop landlord who might buy the house across the street or another house in town and, of course, want to make money off of it, but also care about the city that they live in and, you know, maintain the property. So this means that we natural human individuals are competing with that. That is not fair. And that is why our political leaders who we vote for and are supposed to represent us should be taking actions to address these problems. That's right. Thank you so much, Aaron, for being here. This is really, really interesting. All right. Thank you so very much. I appreciate it. That's it for this week's episode of This is Critical. Next episode, we have some big news. Make sure you don't miss it by following us or subscribing on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, or wherever you like to listen. For more information and to keep tabs on us, follow me on Twitter at page 88 and at this critical pod. If you've got a question or a cultural creed you think deserves another look, send us an email at thisiscriticalpod at gmail.com. This is Critical is made by me, Virginia Heffernan, and Stitcher. 
Ayla Fetter and Michelle O'Brien are the producers. Tracy Samuelson is our editor. Jared O'Connell mixed this episode and Brendan Burns composed our original theme. And Josephine Martirana is our executive producer. Thanks for listening and stay critical. Stitcher. Home isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. Like curling up in a comfy chair while it's cold outside. With a warm drink, or maybe even a wine in hand. As you watch the world go by outside your window. Mmm, short rib. Good afternoon, this is your captain speaking. Which is why at Delta, our people do our best to make you feel at home. Refill? Long before you get there. Delta, keep climbing. Start clean with Clorox, because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... I got a charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? Uh, hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed.